Blog Talk Radio. Everyone and welcome to the show. This is your host Bernice Alexander Bennett, and joining me today is genealogist Lisa Lesson. Well, think about this: a false assumption in the genealogy research process led Lisa to years of being unable to find out who her fourth grandmother really was. She had an accidental discovery in a courthouse basement that led her to her true identity. So today you will learn how to think outside of the genealogy research box to find the female ancestors hiding in the family tree. Lisa uses her 12 years of research experience to help others build a solid research plan, find the needed genealogy records, and get the most out of those resources. She is the creator of Are You My Cousin blog. So let me just give a warm welcome to Lisa Lesson to the show. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you, Bernice. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to just have you help everyone figure out how to get back to that fourth great-grandmother, at least to get us on a, on a road to figuring it out. But before we do that, how did you get involved in genealogical research? Well, it's kind of a, a funny story. I never really intended to start genealogy research, um, but I live in North Carolina, um, and in the summers, it's very hot. And this happened to be August, and my children were home. They were probably late elementary school, early middle school, and they wanted to Google themselves. I know. <laughs> and so we started Googling last names and trying to see, oh, can we find somebody we're related to? And that's how it started, because it was just too hot to go outside to the pool. The pool water was too warm to go swimming in. And so we sat inside and tried to find people that we were related to on the computer. Completely, you know, went about it the wrong way, of course, but that started um, a passion. It started a passion in me. And while they may not be quite as passionate as I am at this point, they are definitely still have some interest in it as well. So really kind of how the story started. Well, isn't that interesting? So just take us through a, a journey, if you will, of trying to find even if it's the first or the second great-grandmother, let's just talk about that. So I'm turning it over to you for a minute. 
Sure, sure. So really what happened um, in my research is that um, when I started, when I really got that passion for genealogy research, I'm really fascinated by the women in my family. And I was fortunate to grow up with a lot of um, um, older members in my family, so I heard a lot of stories. I didn't always pay attention as a kid, but I heard them. And I heard names, and it was typically the women who were sharing these stories. So when I started researching my ancestors, I was fortunate enough to be able to rather quickly, because I had a copy of the family Bible, go back all the way back to my fourth great-grandmother. Her name was Sarah Blanks. She was in the family Bible, and I'm thinking, oh, gracious, this is my first really big you know, foray into genealogy, and is it really going to be this easy? Well, apparently it wasn't going to be that easy because that's the point I got stuck. And for years, I have not been able to figure out who Sarah Blank's parents were. And it's really only been really within the past year that I actually was able to identify her maiden name and, the, and her parents. And I think I know who her father was, but um, until things are opened up and I can get up to the archives in Virginia, I, it's still just a theory. I just have to get up there to do some on-site research. But what happened was I was researching in the Halifax County Virginia Courthouse, which is a beautiful old courthouse and has remarkably very little to no record loss over the years. And I was actually researching someone else in my family line. I had really kind of, I won't say I'd given up on Sarah, but I had you know, put, put that research on the back burner because I just had no clue and really wasn't going anywhere with it. And so I was researching someone else, and I actually came across a document dated um, from April 1841, and it was a grand jury summons. And what it did is it summoned Langley Talbot, and Sarah Blanks, my fourth great-grandparents, to appear before the grand jury because they are living together in open adultery for the past 12 months. Well, now, this was really kind of a, um, a quite a discovery for me because, again, this is 1841. We don't like to think our ancestors did things like that, but they absolutely did. And so I was thinking, okay, well, this is interesting because – They've been together and having children, well, what we thought was a married couple, since 1828. So for, you know, almost 20 years they've been together. And so I realized with this document I had made a grave error in my research. I made the assumption because of family oral history and because her name appeared in the family Bible I made the assumption that Langley and Sarah actually got married. In reality, this couple never married. They never married. They had, oh, I think it was about six or seven children together, but they never actually got married. So I had to really kind of sit back and go, whoa, everything I assumed is incorrect. Everything I thought I knew about just wasn't, that wasn't correct. Now, I will have to say a little bit in my defense. I was a very new researcher when I first started looking at Sarah. And so I assumed that because her name was in the family Bible, that she had gotten married. Her birth date, her death date were there. I assumed 
she's married into the family. But she hadn't. She was in the Bible because she was the mother of the children. So that was an interesting thought. She actually went by her supposed husband's surname every now and then in like census records and things like that. Occasionally you would find her listed um, by her supposed husband. She was even named in the will of her supposed father-in-law as the mother of the children. And all of the children took her supposed husband's last name. And so all of those clues together, I just assumed they were married and I just, for whatever reason, the marriage record didn't survive and I never found it. I didn't find it because it didn't exist. It didn't happen. And it made me sit back and think, okay, well, who is Sarah Blanks? If she never married, why wouldn't she marry? So that sent me on a search into the records. And I had to get kind of creative and, and creative and think about, could she have been married before? Could she have still been sort of married and not yet divorced? Could she be a widow? Could she, could she be a Spencer who just didn't want to get married? I, I, I threw out all kinds of possibilities and got very creative in my research. And essentially what it turned out to be is that when I went to really find her in the records and I researched all the blanks that I could find, because at this point I still assumed her first name, her last maiden name was blanks, turned out she was a widow. She had a very short marriage that lasted two years. Her first husband passed away very, very early, um, they, and they had one child. So I discovered a half-sibling to my, great, to my third great-grandfather. And I actually found her in the estate records for her first husband. Now, he was a very young man, but fortunately from a family that had some means, and he had some means, he had some property, and he had um, one slave. And so what we found was he left all of that to his wife and son. So she had some land. She had property. And a little further research into her husband, or into her supposed husband that she didn't marry, is he had some gambling problems. And so she didn't want to actually get married she wanted to have a family with him and be with him, and I guess what you would almost call a common-law marriage type thing, but she didn't want to actually marry him because she didn't want to lose her land. She didn't want to lose, and she didn't trust him not to gamble away um, her, her land and her monies. So and in some respects, quite frankly, she was very wise to do this. But when I made that connection and I realized, wow, that opened up the doors, and I was able to then find her first marriage record or the record to her first husband and find her maiden name. So Sarah Blanks, in all these years, and every family member and every family reunion, you ask a question, and they always referred to her as Sarah Blanks. She was actually born Sarah Talley in the neighboring county. And I've actually just recently been able to determine, I think, who her father is. But um, so it was a, a maid a lot of mistakes early on. I assumed the Bible record said what I thought it said, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. It gave a birth date and a death, but you know what? There was no marriage date listed. 
never thought to, that never I just slid right over that in my in my analyzing the Bible records. So I made a lot of assumptions that things went the normal way in the usual course, but they didn't. And so that's where my research I failed in my research. So I learned some very but, you know, when I, valuable as I listen to you and sorry to mm-hmm. cut in before you finish. Oh, no. <laughs> but just listening to you and you know, I also shared a little story that I have about Mm -hmm. uh, a great-grandmother, and there's a great-grandmother showing up on documents with two different names. And one of my assumptions was that that the name that's showing up in the marriage record is her maiden name. But then Mm -hmm. I have a death certificate of one of her daughters where she put in another name, as her maiden name. And I continued to go back and forth finding her name different on other documents. And so now you're saying, and I just I just heard what you said, you discovered that she was married before, but it was a short marriage. Mm-hmm. And I need to start thinking that too, that maybe the name... Yeah on the marriage license is that she was married before and it was a short marriage because mm-hmm. she is the one on the document stating what her maiden name is. What do you think about that? I think that's a really good point because she's stating what her maiden name is. And and at this point, you, you don't really know. I mean, she could have reasons for not having – for 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 using that one and not not another one, but if she's stating what her maiden name is, I think that's a very um, a telling sign, and it may be worth researching females of that maiden name married to um, males of the third, you know, the husband's surname or a different surname mm-hmm. to see if they match up, because this marriage really this marriage from my ancestor only last, I mean, two years, if if it's that. And um, I'm very fortunate that he did have land so that when he died, they had to, you know, there was some, there were some probate and estate records to go with it. Um, mm-hmm. Because without that, mm-hmm. I might still be, lo- I might still be looking. I'd know I was, I'd probably know I had something out of whack, but I wouldn't know quite how to, how to fix it. Um, right, definitely. right. So take us through your, I mean, you found this Bible, and, mm-hmm. I mean, it was an old Bible. Uh, did, who was writing in this Bible? Because one of the assumptions was that somebody who put this name in this Bible knew what they were talking about. Right, right. And so the so I, I was reading, actually, the copy of the Bible, but the original Bible is, is I've seen it, it's, it's quite old. And it was actually started... It wasn't Sarah's generation. I think one of her children actually was one of her children who started it, and then you know wrote her parents wrote the parents' names in it. Um, so she's listed in there, and you know the clue that I should have picked up on had the birth date and the death date, but I didn't have. There was they never put a they didn't put a marriage date for her and and her her who we thought was her husband Langley, and. That wasn't there. And the other big clue that as a new researcher I missed, 
and I should have picked up on, and I, and I picked up on later on, is that in the will, in her supposed father's will, he's naming, he's leaving his assets, and he was quite a man, and he was leaving assets that to her children, to the children. And so he named her as the, he named them as the children of Sarah Blanks born after 1828. And so I'm like, oh, okay, that's the wife. As a seasoned researcher, I'm like, whoa, why would you say, why would you state a woman's name using her maiden, you know, what you think, what I thought was her maiden name in a will? The, because mm-hmm. she was named as Sarah Blanks, that should have been a red flag for me. As, and, and certainly as, you know, once I got more experience, it was like, how in the world did I miss that? <laughs> but I wasn't thinking. I wasn't thinking that they never got married. You know, it was never. Um, so I never assume a marriage until I find that marriage record <laughs> anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it and it goes to, to tell you how important it is to analyze analyze the documents that you are uh, are looking at. And to ask mm-hmm. the questions, um, I think you that's a that's a big clue to any any documents that we look at that we need to really spend a lot of time analyzing them to figure out well you know what else is going on here what else am I seeing, and you you told pieces of a story that she she didn't get married because the the man was a, a gambler, but where did you mm-hmm. find that information? So I found that information actually in um, court records. Later on, I was able to um, get into some of the chancellery records. Early on, they were not available to me in my research because they were um, they had been taken out of the courthouse to be digitized, and that had been a multi-year type thing that had gone on with them. So I wasn't actually able to get to the records. But once they became available and I could research them, um, I started reading about his, – his name was Langley Talbot, and I started reading about Langley picking up on things in the records about his debt, about his father not wanting to leave him um, or only leaving him par- partial um, – part of his settle, his estate because he was putting the other part in trust because he didn't, didn't trust him not to spend it. He then – Sarah died. Sarah Blanks died, and there was a lot of she, her children sued Langley, sued their father over some land and money that he had taken from Sarah Blanks, and that's where a lot of the dirty laundry got aired. And they talked about the gambling, and um, there were also I was able to pick up on some mental health issues that were probably present in the family at that time, and um, so it was kind of an interesting. An interesting clue, but those chancery records were really what opened up that last bit for me. Um, and, and in it, they stated, nope, they never married. She would not marry him because she didn't trust him with her money. So let's see if you can take just a, a generic case, if you will. Starting okay. off with the mother, her mother, Take people through the strategy that you would recommend to help them find the maiden name. Oh, sure, sure. So a lot of the first the first thing I'm, I typically will do would be to look for 
you know, a marriage record if possible and see if something, if one is available. If it's not, and I'm going to assume it's not for this case, um, if I can't find a marriage record, then probably what I'm going to do is really research out her husband. And the reason I do that is I kind of shift the focus so I'm not necessarily researching the female, but I'll research the male close to her to see who is appearing in his records. Because when we think about our female ancestors, particularly, you know, if we're going back early 1900s, 1800s and earlier, they were not necessarily working all day, particularly if you're here in the South where I research, they weren't, and then taking the horse and traveling 20 miles to go court that night and then come back home. (laughs) So they were typically, you know, courting and dating, um, marrying within their community. So I'm going to... I want to think that it's somebody probably kind of close, maybe a neighbor or somebody living in the community. So I'm going to really go through that husband's records to see, do I see names that are appearing frequently? And then I might look through those to see, and then research those lines a little bit just to see, is there anybody in there? Do any of those have a female with this first name who might be of the right age to have married? So sometimes I I start working kind of backwards that way. It's a bit tedious. I, I won't say it's not a sometimes long drawn out research, but it is a way to kind of backdoor in. Um, the other reason I really research her husband's records is because sometimes they will mention in um, land or deeds, they might refer to her dowry, they might refer to, um, I have actually seen deeds where they'll have that, they'll refer to a dowry, a dowry and then they'll put in parentheses, her, her maiden name by it. So I always want to make sure I'm checking the husband's records as well to see what could be there um, with that. So that's one of the, that's one of the, the big things that I do for that. The other thing is when I find um, men, when I have researched the husband's records and I have kind of an idea of who's in those records, who's associating with that family a lot, then I'm going to probably go and, Maybe I usually go to the estate records and say, okay, who, you know, who of this, this, this gentleman, John Smith, seems to show up over and over and over again. There are lots of Smiths who show up in, in these records with this husband. Let's see, is there, is there a gentleman who could perhaps be a, a potential father candidate for, for, the, for the wife? And should I, and, and I'll actually research him out. Now, I do tend to research people who ultimately turn not to, to work out, but I also find parents that way. Um, and it happens, I get positive results enough that it's a, it's a, a research tactic that I do use quite a bit. Um, so that's kind of the first thing that I do is I'll shift the focus when I can't find anything directly on her. I like to shift the focus over to her. You can also, if you know who a brother is, you can then research out the brother. If you can pick up any clues to a brother would be another way to do it. Um, the another thing that I try to do is get into some community records, particularly if you're looking at some of those. Um, I almost want to say more modern, although I don't think any of our records are really modern that we use in genealogy research. It seems, but women tended to be our communicators in the family, and so because they were the communicators, they were kind of the memory keepers. They tended to be the letter writers. They tended to maybe have the photographs if you're in that time period where you're using photographs. Um, so when they are the letter writers, when they are the memory keepers, 
they tend to leave their impressions in the community, but not necessarily in a formal legal record. So for, for instance, if your ancestor, if faith was a very important part of your ancestor's life, whether it's, um, you know, Baptist or Methodist, Protestant, you know, it could be Catholic, whatever, women's group in the church were very common. And so churches would actually have rosters for those women. And you can start to see who they hung out with. I've actually done it through cookbooks. I've actually used um, cookbooks because a lot of the communities and churches will create um, cookbooks. And these are not, I mean, I found them back into the 1800s, the community cookbooks. And it will talk about who is um, in that community, who is in that church. It will give you usually a history of that particular women's organization. It, if you're looking at if it's a church group, usually they give a history of the church somewhere in there, and you'll find names and families listed out. You can find sisters and mothers and um, daughters all listed together. Maybe they have a family recipe that they do. So that's an interesting way. It's a really kind of what I truly call out-of-the-box research. But it's to get into the types of records that your female ancestor would have done, and in those cases it would have been that type of you know, community record um, type thing. So that's where I like to go. I also like to look at the newspapers and go into the society pages. Now, sometimes people think societies, you know, they're thinking big galas and big balls, and yes, they can be that. But maybe you're looking at smaller um, newspaper type things, and you're really looking at what's called community news, and they will list, you'll find the women appearing there because you find who's visiting whom, relatives going back and forth. You can find evidence of church socials. Um, again, women's circles I'll see written up in the newspapers so I can find names that way. And occasionally, the reason I always go after these is even though they might be married, they will sometimes put that maiden name in parentheses. I've actually seen that. And so I never want to discount that it wouldn't be there. I don't ever want to assume a record isn't going to be helpful just because it usually isn't without checking that record. Um, so I always try to go after that record if possible. Um, so the newspapers can be a real helpful, really into that community type newspapers where you'll find those women written. Now, a very modern type of, I would say modern, a more modern type of record would be um, female ancestor. Could be something like a... Um, the Red Cross nurse files, um, they're on Ancestry, and they have an incredible amount of detail about women. Everything from maiden names to marriage statuses to, you know, whether somebody's divorced or not to, um, locate, you know, addresses where they lived. Um, hus uh, not husbands, but they'll have, um, well, they'll have husbands' names. They'll have um siblings' names. They'll have parents' names listed. You can even find, oh gracious, you can even find the vaccination chart for them. <laughs> but you can find a tremendous amount of genealogical relevant information on these um, records say, from World War II, which, you know, for some women, for some researchers, you do not have to go very far back to hit that, that brick wall on a female ancestor. So it's worth kind of looking to see what types of records outside of your traditional census records and wills and things like that that you can look at to see what kind of community records they might be housing um, type thing. I did mention um, family letters and papers. A lot of times um, people are a little 
they didn't have them. They, they're like, oh, my family doesn't have those. But it's worth checking out special collections at archives as well as special collections at universities because they will have, I see a lot of family papers, particularly if, if there was, you know, it was a large family or if they were, maybe they had some type of prominence or had something to do with the building of the community, you will find um, you will find family papers, and oftentimes they will include family letters with information about you know the schooling of the children. So it might name the children into the record. So it's a way to prove parents that uh, parentage that way as well. That was a long answer for you. How <laughs> did I get? Did I know that? Did I get that's that for perfectly you? okay. Because I'm thinking about a, a situation where I found a great grandmother at 12 years old in the household in 1880, and she was listed as um, a niece. No, she was listed mm -hmm. as a sister of a 32-year-old man. And I said, that, that can't be his sister. I wonder if yeah. it's his niece. And so mm -hmm. I found her in the 1870 census with her mother, her father, and a sister. And so I started researching the sister and found the sister's death certificate years, years later. And it listed mm -hmm. her mother's maiden name as Cook, Lucinda Cook, and the father, Wallace Fryer. And she was in the household. The great grandmother I mentioned, it was twelve years old. Mm -hmm. She was in the house, yeah. in the in the home, of a man named Luke Cook. And I said I was mm -hmm. right. I was thinking I was thinking out of the box, and I said that that's probably her uncle and not her brother, because her mother was named Lucinda Cook, and I found the documentation mm -hmm. to support that. Uh, not to mention eventually uh, matching DNA with individuals from the, the same family. So mm, sometimes good, you yeah. have to just see if, if it's at all possible to find siblings and see if mm -hmm. the siblings will have the mother's maiden name on there. Um, Absolutely. On a document. And that could help them Absolutely. also. So do you have any, yeah, other, other tips? any other tips before we close out? Yeah, one of the places that I think that sometimes is helpful to look for female ancestors can be um, the records of the poor. So um, in a, the county typically was charged, you know, they would take care of anybody who required, you know, um, assistance that they you know, didn't have anything. They could be living in the literal poorhouse, or it could be, you know, they could be receiving monies, but they'd be living in the the home of a family member or even their own home. But those records are very well documented, and you will find a tremendous number of women there. And you can actually find evidence of death dates in those. So if you're looking and trying to document women, and unfortunately with a lot of women who ended up on those um those poor roles that you can actually they'll have notes beside them about things about when they entered the system when they may have passed away and you can narrow down some death dates that way as well so um, that's an interesting place to look that not everybody thinks to go and look for 
No, not at all. Okay. So any closing remarks before we close out? Oh, listen to your gut when you're going to research and it doesn't look right. Think about it. <laughs> Delve into it. But um, no, I'd love for you. I'd love for anybody to um, to um, take a look at the website, the Are You My Cousin website. It's um, you can find it. It's just my name, LisaListen.com. Uh, um, would love to, you know, for you to check it out and see if there's some helpful articles there that might help you out with your research. Okay, and remember, everybody, your ancestors left footprints. And so think about that. Think about, hey, you're looking at those footprints, but some things just don't look right. They may be false assumptions. You need to think about Mm -hmm. that. And just follow your thought. Analyze the records and really just, even if you have to timeline it, write it out. Think about it. Find as many documents as you can to help you tell the story, to understand, well, maybe that's really, that Bible record is really not right, as Lisa discovered as she began to try to find the the maiden name of her fourth great-grandmother. So thank you, everyone, and please check out my book, Tracing Their Steps, a Memoir, Uh, It's on Amazon.com, and I look forward to all of you joining me next week. This is your host, Bernice Alexander-Bennett. Thank you so much, Lisa. Bye, everyone. Thank you.